You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Thank you, Calvin. Appreciate you very much. Calvin Williams, everybody. Uh, yeah, he's bringing this to me because we will be uh, taking a moment to receive communion together at the end of our time together today. So if you're online, and welcome, of course, to our online audience, you can go ahead and get those DIY elements ready, and we'll let you know when it's time. Uh, second thing, real quick, before we get going, uh, if you didn't know, mid-September to mid-October is Hispanic Heritage Month, and you know that means something in a church like Mosaic. So I want to take a moment, yeah, and thank and honor all of our Hispanic brothers and sisters, nuestros hermanos y hermanas, gracias por todo lo que haces aquí con nosotros y esta iglesia, te queremos mucho y nos alegra que estés aquí. All right, we love you very much and we're glad you're here. Could not, would not be who we are without you. All right, well, let's get into our time in God's Word. Our scripture reading today it will be on your screen. It's a few different verses here from the book of Exodus, chapters 19, 20, and 24. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There, Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? You shall have no other gods before me. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. And that's the reading of God's word, all his people said. Amen, amen. Yeah, you know, one of the things that Carrie and I love to do the most out of all the things that we get to do here at Mosaic is to host our community group. And some of you in this room are a part of that, and maybe you used to be a part of that. And this has looked a number of different ways over the years, and we've, you know, taken a break here and there. But pretty much for a decade, we've hosted or co-led one, and I, as a result, we've got too many stories to tell. But people, she said, true that. Like, like the time somebody dropped a two-liter of soda in our kitchen and then we literally looked over and saw it bouncing and flying kind of like that except flying through the air like a balloon when the air goes out except it wasn't being propelled by air by liquidated, liquidated, carbonated, sugary water, you know, Uh, and uh, it took us weeks to get it off the ceiling and the blinds. Now we have our group outside. Um, (laughs) But over the years, we've had kids 
get sick on our carpet, spill communion juice on our rug, and not about now you're saying, why are you telling me all this? I am never going to host one of those. That sounds like the worst idea ever, right? But do you know what we've also had? We've also had a lot of miracle moments where people pray and share and cry or something special just happens. We've had legendary water balloon fights, cornhole toss, seriously, like the best wings ever made by Pastor Barnabas. We had moon moon cakes this past week to celebrate the Mid-Autumn Festival. We've served the homeless together, done garage sales for orphans, fixed up, cleaned up homes for the elderly more times than I can even count. And uh, a few years ago when our house flooded, yeah, that happened, people from our group came over and repaired our house. Now you say, well, that's because you're you, right? You're like the pastor guy. I would say, well, maybe, but you didn't come and fix it, did you? (laughs) No, they did because we're together. And that time when the rug did get ruined, we had to order a new rug to replace the old rug. So we called the rug company, ordered a new rug, and they sent us one that was not the one we ordered. It was actually bigger and way nicer. But when we got that one, we said, well, it's not the one that we ordered. So we asked for a refund. And when they did, they said, actually, here's your refund, gave us our money back, and you can keep the better rug. It's free. It's on us. It's a true story. My point is, God has taken care of us, and we have gotten way more out of it we'd ever put into it, yeah. And we aren't the only ones here at Mosaic by a long shot who have that story or stories. Why do we, have we done this? Well, just a few months ago, the School of Education at Harvard University published this really eye-opening study. It was called this. It was called Loneliness in America, How the Pandemic Has Deepened an Epidemic of Loneliness and What We Can Do About It. And in this study on loneliness, they said this, quote, alarming numbers of Americans are lonely. According to our recent national survey of approximately 950 Americans, 36% of respondents reported feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time or all the time in the prior four weeks. A startling 61% of young people aged 18 to 25 and 51% of mothers with young children reported these miserable degrees of loneliness. Survey respondents also reported substantial increases in loneliness since the outbreak, the pandemic. And went on to talk about the the costs of chronic loneliness in, in our lives, how bad it is for you. And, and basically, they said, chronic loneliness is so bad for people, one study said, it's literally better for you to eat Twinkies with your friends than it is to eat your vegetables alone and by yourself. Of course, that's, that's good news for teenagers everywhere. I know. Sorry about that, parents. But what's the solution? Harvard researchers put it like this. It's fascinating. Look what they said. Here's what we need to do. They said, quote, we need to return to an idea that was central to our founding and is at the heart of many great religious traditions, which is that we have commitments to ourselves, but we also have vital commitments to each other, including to those who are vulnerable. So they're saying there, maybe... Research shows, right? The survey says, in order to have a better, richer, fuller, longer, happier life, you should let some people spill some communion juice on your rug. Figure out a way to eat some mooncakes together. See, we weren't made for chronic loneliness. We were made for something way better, far better, and that's what we're talking about today. 
We're in a series, you saw it, called Differently the Same. We're seeing how our same core values of worship, community, and mission connect to our different, right now, cultural moment. And so today, we're taking a final look at our value of community to the life of someone named Moses. We've sort of been tracing his story. And before we move on to Elijah and mission next week, I want to ask today then, if that's you, if that's me, if we're you and I, if we are struggling with this epidemic of loneliness, my question is, what can help us break the power of that? Break the power of loneliness and create community in our lives. Here's my answer. The law of God can. Maybe not what you were expecting right there. All right, it's not going to get weird. Don't worry. <laughs> I hope I have your attention. It's something called the law of God. Now, by that, I don't mean all the animal sacrifice stuff. Christians believe that was rendered obsolete with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, nor do I mean the, the ceremonial, not the ceremonial, the civil laws of Israel. The civil legal laws of Israel, those were one nation at one time. I mean something called the moral law of God, which Christians from the beginning, including those writers of the New Testament, they upheld as being for people for all times because they saw Jesus uphold God's moral law. Jesus affirmed that moral law and saw Jesus die to empower us to live out the moral law of God. See, the law of God, the law of love can actually help break the power of loneliness and create community in unexpected ways. How so? I want to try to show you three ways. Three ways this does this to us, the law of God today. I hope to show you. Number one, can show us who we already are. So important. Number two, it's going to show us who we can become together. And finally, the law of God shows us where to find what we really need to live these things out. Let me try to show you what I mean as I go. Number one, the law of God shows us who we already are. All right, here's our story. The book of Exodus, nation of Israel. You may know the story. You've seen the prince of Egypt, Charlton Heston, God rest Chuck, you know. Uh, he's crossed over the Red Sea. They become a new community. And here, God through Moses, is about to give them the moral law at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, what Jews call the Ten Words. But before any of that happens, what does God say first to Moses? God said this first. We read it. Thus, Moses, you shall say to the house of Jacob, the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if, time out, time out, hang on a second, before God ever gave any commandment, ever like texted his people like a, you know, 10 letter to-do list, you know, what was he saying had already happened. He said this, y'all remember what happened in Egypt, right? Here's how it went. You yourselves walked out of Egypt all by yourselves. Wait, that wasn't what he said? No. You yourselves, you did it all on your own, you big, strong nation, you. You yourselves formed a big army. You got like, you know, your super serum. You invented some Captain Israels, and you all did that. You know, you, you, you pulled yourselves up by your own bootstraps. Way to go. No, that's not what he said at all. God says this, remember, you yourselves have seen how I saved you, how I rescued you. He said, I swooped down like an eagle 
to rescue you. I carried you from Pharaoh to me, from slavery to my heart, from despair to a future and a hope. Not because you were special or strong or you had a bunch of national resources, because remember, you had nothing. You had nothing, could do nothing for me, and still I saved you just because that's how much I loved you. I have been faithful to you. Now will you be faithful to me? What's God doing? All right, before we go on, I'll put it like this. Put it like this. The God of the Bible right here with this statement is blowing up categories of religions and faith systems everywhere of all kinds. Blowing up religions, blowing up faith systems. Here's what I mean. All right. Pretty much historically, even today culturally, you can divide religions, faith systems into two categories, okay? On one hand, you've got those who say that keeping the law, uh, they love the law, law enforcement, right, wrong, and the rules are the way to go, and those people, no, they say, we're the good people because we keep the rules. They say, we're all about that law. What's love got to do, got to do with it? You knew it was coming. All right. On the other hand, you've got faith systems, religions that say, get any kind of law out of there that's so regressive and so limiting. I just believe in love. There are no rules in love. And we know we are the really good people because it's just love, no law. They're sort of like, you know, not Tina Turner, but Elsa in Frozen. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. And, you know, don't hold back anymore. Both of those systems, religious impulses have a problem. In both those systems, self is still at the center. The conservative view says, I'm the moral hero if I keep the law. The liberal view says, I'm a moral hero for rejecting it and living a self-directed life. But self is still at the center, which is why, come on, both sides can still be judgmental elitist, look down on the other, maybe create news networks themselves that look down at the other, right? The conservative moral heroes live down their noses at those who can't, won't, don't keep the law. The liberal moral heroes look down their noses at those who do. But what Moses is being offered by God, what this community is being offered by God, what you and I are being offered by God here is neither neither. It's its own category. This is different. This is God saying, I have already loved you. You are already free. You have to do nothing to earn my love. Therefore, now obey me, right? I've given you my all. I have loved you. Now out of your love for me, do the same and give me your all. That's how love works, isn't it? Receiving and giving. God says, obey because you are already loved. In the conservative faith systems, this says, listen, no matter rule keeping you could ever do could ever make me love you. To the liberal faith system, this says, true love doesn't exist outside of committed reciprocal exclusivity. See, boundaryless relationships, they're not really free or loving. They're really just self-centered. But here's the thing, when you know this, when you see this, when you get what God is doing here, here's what you can do with that as you now move, as we now move into community together. Put it like this. You know that thing that maybe happened when you walked in a day? You're like, yeah, I know, I couldn't find a parking spot. No, no, no. Or when you came to a community group for the first time, there was like this, probably, most likely, like this weird little 
pull push. I'll call it a pull push, not push pull, but pull push. That pull push is this little thing in your head that says to you, you sort of felt like, it was like that 60s song from Jay and the Americans. It was in Guardians of the Galaxy that, you know, come a little bit closer. You're my kind of church. So nice and so loud, you know. Right, come a little bit closer to me. You know that song, you're like, what's he talking about? (laughs) Ask your teenagers, they know. Anyway, You say, I want to know you, you want to know me. The pull is, come closer, but then the push comes. Because you're thinking, you know, if we really did get close, you might not like what you see. I might have to tell you, show you who I really am. So, 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 we give each other some version of what that guy, The Weeknd, said. Yeah, it's sort of a twist on the old Ray Charles song. He said this, quote, you know me, but you don't know me. I give you what I want to give you. There it is. There's the pull push, right? The come closer but stay away. And I'm not talking about because you live in a world with COVID. No, I'm talking about you knowing me, me knowing you, and the honest, authentic connection we have together. What can cut the push-pull, pull-push cord? The law of God can. Love God can. Because if you know that God only ever asked people to obey his love first, if you know that before you ever did a single thing to impress him, come on, you were madly, truly, deeply loved by him, what would that do to you and me before we met? Hmm? If you knew that this is the God who carries you, carries his people out of bondage on eagle's wings and he's carrying you right now, what could that, would that do to you and me before we met? I think it's this, I think it's this, that we could drop the pretense and the praise the Lord's and the I'm blessed brother, just blessed, if and when they're fake. Sometimes those things are real, and if they're real, please keep them. My point is, we could drop that fake, say, here I am, take a giant step out of loneliness toward each other. Now, we could like, we don't have to wait for someone to introduce themselves after the service, right? We can do that for one another. You say, here I am. They're like, who are you? You're like, I'm loved. Already loved. Carried on eagle's wings. Thank you very much. How about you? (laughs) Who are you? You say the same. Carried on eagle's wings. I'm loved. Nice to meet you. Right? You take five minutes. Slow down. Listen to their story. The law of God shows us who we already are. Before we ever obey, we're already loved. Number two, it shows us at the same time, shows us also who we, not just you, who we can become together. God goes on to Moses, verse five. Now, therefore, if, if you will indeed obey my voice, you keep my covenant, right? You do the stuff, you obey the law. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, right? If you, if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you don't lie, you don't murder, you don't steal, man, you will be my treasured possession. The whole earth is mine. You're going to be like a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God says, if you'll do that, live like that, what will that do to you? He said, if you live like this, you'll become, this is incredible, my treasured possession. Another translation puts it like this. It says, my special treasure. Or as the Gollum version would put it, my precious. All right, all right. What's this about? All right, what's this treasured possession stuff. All right. Back in February of this year, around the time that Harvard was putting out that, that whole article, uh, something else was happening right here in Austin, in Texas. Remember February? 
Yeah. It was that giant ice storm some of you may have heard of and a lot of us lived through, and it got really, really bad. It was really, really scary. No lie. A lot of people alone, afraid, and when this happened, and I'm going to brag on them for a moment, our staff here at Mosaic hopped into action. And either, you know, with their own power out, own crises of their own, didn't matter. A bunch of us came up and lived at the church for just about a week. Uh, some of them who were stuck at home got on the, like this crisis hotline that we created. And then a whole bunch of you and people at Mosaic. And I think I saw Matt Corey here. He was bringing water from his own swimming pool up here to help flush the one workable toilet that we had. We'll talk about that in a second. And some of our friends in our global spiritual family we're a part of, it's called Every Nation. They heard about what happened here. Well, you did, but we did. They made a video about us. And I want to take a moment, actually three minutes, and show it to you because I can't tell you. I feel like I need to show you. So I'm going to show, show you this video, watch this, and come back and I'll try to make a point. Here we go. So the snowstorm was mid-February 2021. It was probably the worst snowstorm that in recent history that Austin had experienced. It was like eight days of something that we'd never seen before. We don't have salt trucks here or snow shovels, and so there was really no way to kind of control the roads, which meant that we couldn't travel very much. There was power failures, the houses, the grids in our city fell, the power grids, waters Pipes burst in schools, in homes, in businesses, and it re really resulted in a mess in our city and almost like a standstill. There was little, very little water in the city. The stores were closed, so there was little food in the city. Mosaic Church felt we needed to help because it's just who we are. And they literally just started creating a call center. And so they opened up requests for people to descend in their needs. We had responders that would get in their cars and go to stores, stand in the line to get food, to get medicine, and then deliver to families. We had people that would pick up elderly or pick up people that didn't couldn't stay at their house anymore and take them across the city to other homes, um, which was amazing because they were risking their lives in a situation that they really could have just stayed put. Our church helped put 200 homeless friends into hotels. And those that could not get into hotels or when the hotel's power went out, then we opened up a shelter at the church for homeless and for families that did not have anywhere to go. And then we had volunteers that would just cook food and bring it to the church to feed our homeless friends and the families that were there. As you can imagine, it's pretty a, a distraught situation. And so our pastors, our leaders, our staff, they're there and they're ministering to the families that are there, the, the ones that are basically hyperventilating because they don't know what type of state their home is in. And they're there supporting them, talking to them, and, and really just helping people through this time. There was a point where the police officers, they just couldn't do anything else. They started bringing people to our church. City officials, they're like, okay, We've got to take them to the church because they're the only ones that can help right now. We're where they come for help because they know like there's help with people that love Jesus. Many of the, the schools that we serve um, had significant damages because of insurance purposes. We really could not help with fixing the school or fixing the pipes. And so what we decided to do was put the money right into the teacher's hands, which was over $10,000. You know, teachers often buy things for their students themselves, whether it's school supplies or products for the classroom. Teachers will go out and buy it for them, um, for their students. We were being witnesses of Jesus Christ right in our community in places that may not normally see the love of Jesus. 
probably one of the, the special moments that stood out to me is seeing the principal of one of the schools that we were able to serve show up at church. And he said he just wanted to be with people that love like we did. And he showed up to just say thank you and to worship with us. Just being able to, to hear that response and know that we were just wanting to be witnesses with Jesus Christ and that's what people received. Special. I'm so grateful to be a part of a people that have a desire to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to go out and actually do the thing that Jesus is asking us to do and not just say it. All right. Very cool. So why do we do that again? You heard Pastor Rosalind say it's because it's just who we are. But why is that? Well, in part, it's because of Moses in Mount Sinai, because in the ancient Near East, do you know, do you know where most cities were built? Like we did this for our city, but in that day, they had cities just in certain places. Most cities were in that day were built near mountains. Why? It's because people believe that the gods lived up on top of the mountains. And remember your, your Greek mythology, like Zeus, come on, and the gods lived where? Mount Olympus, right on top of a mountain. Cities were formed around mountains and cultures and religions were formed out of these cities. And so they would go up and they would build these temples on top of mountains and they would go up and build. Usually it's called a ziggurat. It's got steps. They would go up the steps to the top after going up the mountain and sacrifice to the gods up on top to be blessed, to be known, to be seen. See, the whole, the point is, moral and spiritual direction around which those cities were organized was this. I will ascend. I will go up. And today, in our culture, in a lot of cities, maybe this one, it's kind of the same. Like, let's be honest, how many of you have moved to Austin? By the way, we've all moved to Austin. There's only like six people here who haven't, okay? <laughs> like how many of you moved here in order not just to take something from the city, but to be a blessing to the city? Not just to get a job, build your brand, build your business. Listen, I hope you do. So glad you're here. I hope you strike it big and huge and all that. But how many of you thought, I'm gonna move there for the express purpose of being a blessing? How many of you, if you're a Christian already and you've come to a church, maybe you're looking for a church, you come here asking not, you know, what, what can this community give to me, but perhaps what could I give to this community? How could I maybe be a blessing? The point is the human impulse that humans have is the same you saw at the Tower of Babel. We see now because it's not about being ancient or modern. It's about being human with the same religious impulse which says I will go up. I will achieve. I will become someone. But that's not what's happening here at Sinai, is it? Uh -uh. Because here, come on, at another mountain, at Mount Sinai, it's totally different. The stream, the direction, the religious impulse has been reversed. The people, they don't move here because they chose it. No, no, they're called there by God. They don't pick this mountain, God picks it. And they actually can't go up. They couldn't climb if they wanted to because if you read all of chapter 19, they're not even allowed to approach it. They can't go up. They can't touch the mountain. And this isn't God being difficult and God being you know, hard to get or remote. No, he's trying to make this point, which is this. At the center of the community of God is not 
people who go up, but a God who comes down. He's saying to them, hey, hey, y'all, just in case you forgot, like, because you're past the Red Sea, you're free from Pharaoh now. Now that you're in the clear, just in case you forgot that you couldn't save yourselves, but you're thinking you can now, I'm letting you know. You can never climb high enough. I'm too holy. I'm too different than you. You can't come up to me to prove you're great. I come down to you to prove you're loved. Prove you're loved. And now, 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 now that I've revealed myself, yeah, as that kind of God, he's saying, the God who comes down, the God who descends. Now, the very impulse at the center of your community should be reversed. Now your community is formed around descending, around going down to the people below you, more helpless than you, maybe even, to use that Harvard study word, more vulnerable than you. You love your neighbor as yourself because you descend. You care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant because you descend. You keep your hands off other people's spouses. You use your power uh, to not just have sex with who you want, but you reserve it for serving someone in the context of marriage, not just taking it when you want. Right? You, you descend, you give your money away to care for the community. You, you could use your money to ascend, to prove you're a somebody, to get that like, nice extra air-conditioned camel to ride through the desert. Sorry. The fancy tent with the nice mobile countertops. No, but God says, use your money to descend. And if you do that, he said, do you know what you'll become? My special treasure. The word literally means something that was shut up like a king takes a trophy out of his private vault to show the world. This is how a community looks with a different impulse because nobody else is doing this. This is not... I'm here to take. I'm here to consume. Not I will go up, but because God has come down to save us, now I, in smaller ways, we can do this for others. Why did we do what we did back in February? In part, because of the law of God, which says love God most and your neighbor as yourself. So it's number two, the law of God shows us who, what we can become. And when we live like this, come on, aren't we all a little less lonely? And aren't a whole lot more people a lot less lonely? Yeah, that's true. Number three, finally, the law of God shows us also where to find what we really need to live it out. Watch this. So God gives this law here. Then three things happen back to back to back. First, Moses reads the law, these words of the people, and the people say this. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. It's not smart, really. But okay, they say it. You, you, you say dumb things when you're in love, right? Like I went to a wedding a few years ago and something that the groom put in his vows was this. I promise I will never hurt my wife. <laughs> I thought, my God, what a fool. Like who's been, if you've not been through marriage counseling, like... You never put that in there. If you're engaged today, don't put that one in there. <laughs> but you say dumb things when you're in love. It's understandable. So that's what they do. But second, hang here with me. Moses oh, throws the blood from a sacrifice on them. Verse eight, and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant. Because again, remember, this is an oral culture, dramatic culture. They act out agreements. They're not, by and large, literate. There's not pen and paper and lawyers. No, the blood sprinkled is saying, we agree. 
we sign, may we be like this animal if we don't keep the covenant. Then the third thing happens immediately, very next verse. Then, now, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, 70 of the elders of Israel went up, hang on, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Wait, what's this? I thought no one could go up on penalty of death, but these people go up. How can this happen? Oh, did you catch the picture? The covenant was made, and then there's this. Not just meeting, but eating with God and one another. Imagine that community group, right? How can this be? How can this be? This could only be because the blood had brought them in. And the only way this one time, one moment snapshot on the mountain makes sense is because of something that happened years later. Flash forward centuries later. Now, this whole scene is reenacted, oh, but with a giant twist. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus of Nazareth took his disciples up into something called the upper room, and he gathered them. This group he had called, he had chosen, he had summoned, and to a group of people steeped in this covenant language and story, he takes now a cup of wine and he says, this is a new covenant in my blood. He's saying, I'm gonna go, and I am gonna be betrayed and hang on a Roman cross to get what I don't deserve, the cosmic loneliness you deserve for all the ways you've been lawbreakers, haven't loved your neighbor as yourself, been lawbreakers, haven't loved the Lord your God as you ought to, so that now you can be brought in, reconciled, and become a new community in the world. He's saying, my life for yours is what brings you to me. And they beheld God and ate and drank. Friends, this right here, this new covenant, is where we get the power to live all this out. The change that comes when you see you've been brought near to the heart of God because of someone who's given his life for yours. And second, we get the power from the grace given to us from others in Christian community. And then we need to make a choice to live it out. Communities, my thought, they're not great by accident. It just happen. It takes a choice and repeated choices to love your neighbor, participate with your neighbor, show up for your neighbor, get to know your neighbor, and maybe, maybe, even best of all, have a meal with your neighbor. And we're going to do that right now in our own way by receiving the Lord's table together. Let me take a moment. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to lead all of us online and in the room in communion together. Father, we thank you for this incredible picture of people who together, because of a life given in their place, they're able to go up and behold you and eat and drink together. And right now, may we do the same. I thank you for your presence. It's here in our midst by your Holy Spirit. It's here because of one another. And it's present in the elements that we take. I thank you for it in Jesus' name.
you're here, either in the room or online, would you mind standing with me right now? We're gonna take a moment and receive the bread and the cup together. Before we do this, and kind of as we do this, we're gonna recite something together. This is called the Apostles' Creed. It's an early historic Christian confession of faith. And I'd like to ask you to read this out loud with me. I'm gonna ask you, church, what do you believe? And you can respond with me with this together. Church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Would you now receive the body of Jesus Christ broken for you? Thanks be to God. And would you receive the cup, a new covenant, based not on your own strength and performance, but by his all-sufficient, eternal merit. The blood of Christ for you. Thanks be to God. And they beheld God, and they ate and they drank. Amen. Amen. Pastor Corey. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.